Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So, just to catch you up real quick, this when we got to chapter 4 of Ephesians, we've been talking about, Paul has been talking about the unity uh, as believers uh, in the church. Paul, he's, he's kind of taken us through this journey of what that looks like and, 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 and the reason behind it, the reason behind the unity of the church. And, and, and we're all gifted with certain gifts. We all have these different things because Jesus... Uh, gives them to us because he's the only one able to give them to us because he is the victor. Now, as we grow and mature in our faith and and we understand what our gifts are and and the things that God has given us, um, we we, we tend to grow up into the head of the church, which is Jesus, right? It's similar to how a baby has a giant head, right, when they're born and they they have to grow into it. And so we as new believers have to grow to be more like Jesus. And that happens best when we are unified as believers in the church. Now, today's message is a warning, in a sense. Now, now I receive warnings all the time. Sometimes those warnings work. Sometimes those warnings don't. For instance, I have been warned on numerous occasions that I shouldn't speed. When I was younger, those warnings didn't work, and then I ended up getting busted. The, the consequences of me ignoring those warnings, ignoring the, from the, the police, ignoring my wife, was I ended up having to pay my fair share of tickets, right? I, I've had my fair share of warrants issued for my arrest, um, but now I try not to speed too badly, and I try to pay my tickets on time so that warrants aren't issued for my arrest. Now, the warning from Paul today can be treated like a warning for a speeding ticket. Right? It, you don't want to take this warning like you would a warning for a speeding ticket. If you want to flourish in your walk with the Lord. We will see here in just a little bit uh, of, of the cycle in, in which we should try to avoid in our walks with the Lord. All right. So we're going to read three verses today out of chapter 4. We'll start in verse 17. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice and every kind of impurity. Now, as I read this text, as you read this text, I don't think anybody would say that they hope to live a life this way. I don't think this is the model for which we want to base our life around. Uh, I, I don't think this is the goal for anyone who calls themselves a believer, but Paul warns us anyway. He, he warns us because we are all susceptible of falling back into our old way of thinking, falling back into our old, old way of life, and, and forgetting about everything that Paul has discussed up until this point. So, so the first thing we have to do is, is we have to be aware of how we walked before we came to Christ. What, what our life was like before Jesus redeemed us. If you are not walking with the Lord... 
If that is your life, if you have not surrendered your life to Him, my hope is that you will see a better way to live your life by the time that we are done this morning. But the first thing that we need to understand in order to not fall back into our old ways is we need to remember our failure. What Paul is referring to here when he references the Gentiles it is not that we have to convert to Judaism in order to be a believer. But when he references the Gentiles, he, he's saying there was a time when the Gentile people were cut off from the promise. We who are Gentiles were once foreigners to the covenant of promise. There, there was a time that we didn't have hope. But now because of Jesus, we've been grafted into the promise. Now because of what he has done for us, we are now co-heirs with Christ. And, and so Paul is reminding them, hey, don't go back to a time when you didn't have Jesus. Paul, Paul is saying, don't go back to living the life you did before you understood the promise, before you were redeemed. Now, the word futility is, is the very same word that we find in the Greek version of the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Ecclesiastes, where, where Solomon describes the futility of living a life that's apart from God. There, the same word is translated meaningless, vanity, futility, depending on what translation you are reading. Now, those are all good words. Those are all good words to use to describe the emptiness of a life that is apart from God. If at the end of the day you feel like your life lacks meaning, if at the end of the day you feel like your life lacks purpose, it is potentially because you are not walking with the Lord. What was your life like before salvation? Where, where would you be if He didn't save you when He did? Now, thankfully, I grew up in the church. I was saved at a young age, much like Jensen. My, my, my wife, Sina, has, has been working on getting her license as a biblical counselor. She, she has been learning about all the different temperaments that, that are involved with, that, that make up each and every one of us. It's just how God wired us to be. Now, I highly recommend that you make an appointment, you know, with Sina Hagedorn, different Sina, but that's always confusing to me. I don't know if my Cena's the other Cena or Cena Hag. I don't know. But there's two Cenas. Go, go make an appointment with Cena Hagedorn and, and, and help so she can help you understand what your temperament is. But in her study, my Cena has learned that I have a temperament that, that is similar to every dictator that you read about in history. <laughs> Names like Hitler. And Stalin are compared to the temperament that I have. She has also said that the people with my temperament have to come to faith at an early age, or it's very rare that they will do so unless something drastic happens in their life. For instance, the Apostle Paul is used, is described with somebody that has my same temperament as well. But he came to faith later in life. How did that happen? He had to be blinded, knocked off a horse, and had to see Jesus face to face. Right? And, and so I may not have a long history of not walking with the Lord, but the more that Cena is sharing these things with me, the more I am grateful for my salvation. 
Now, I don't want to go down in history as a terrible person who uses people to get what they want. So, so when I think about life with Christ, it isn't so much what he, what our, where I came from. It's look at what he saved me from becoming. Look at what he redeemed me from becoming. Paul is reminding us to think about that. If you didn't have your salvation, where would you find hope when things go bad? If he didn't step in and protect you, where would your, what would your life look like now? Maybe some of you have stories of, of radical life change. Uh, radical life change like Paul when it comes to the Lord and how he saved you. Others might have a story where you were saved out of a, a religion and you felt the burden week in and week out of never being able to do enough. All of your work to be righteous was never good enough, and people made you feel like a failure. If you are able to remember your life before redemption, you have a better chance of recognizing the pitfalls that got you there so that you can avoid them. Remember your failure. Next, we need to recognize the process of how this works. I say it all the time, that you're not going to wake up one day and be this holy person. Right, that, that knows all these things about God, that, that has a really close relationship with them and is willing to die for their beliefs. It, it's a daily process of seeking after Him. It's a daily process of understanding His heart. The, the same thing is true for living a life of futility. You, you aren't going to wake up one day with a hardened heart towards God. It's a gradual process. I want us to see the process by looking at another one of Paul's letters. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Romans chapter 1 here in just a second. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 18. I'll give you a second to turn there. Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, would have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So when you look at this passage of Romans chapter 1, and, and you put it next to this passage in Ephesians, we, we begin to see the process more clearly. The, the first step is revelation. Th this is where God reveals himself to us in some way. Maybe it's through creation. Maybe it's here on a Sunday morning. Or, or you have some exposure to his word where you, which contains truth. Every single person on the face of this earth has been exposed to God in some way. 
God has revealed himself through a sunset, through a mountain range. Or he has placed people in your life that have spoken the truth of his word. And every single one of us has to deal with it in some way. You either have to accept it or reject it. Now, if you don't accept the revelation, that leads us to the next step in the process, which is rejection. Now, as Christians, we we don't have a hard time recognizing the fact that believers have rejected the truth of God. That's easy to see. But remember that Paul is writing here in Ephesians, not to unbelievers, but to Christians. And he seems to be warning us against doing the very same thing. There are going to be times in your life that that you will be tempted to reject a revelation from God. I'll I'll give you an example of how I have been guilty of that. This year has been a tough year for my family. I, I lost two good friends earlier this year back to back. I have one teenager and another one not too far behind, so there's that, right? (laughs) My son was diagnosed with a non-working thyroid, and then less than two months later, we almost lose him to diabetes. I, I have been lied to. I've been accused of things that are simply not true. Plus, not very many things this year have gone very easy. It's like we get back on our feet only to get knocked back down again. Anybody else been there? (laughs) I have rejected the revelation of God at times because I begin to wonder, why me? What have I done? When in reality, I shouldn't be surprised by any of it because God's word says... In this world, you are going to have trouble. James says to count it all joy as you face various trials. And I'll be real honest with you. I haven't counted everything as joyful. That is rejection of God's revelation to me. Because I shouldn't be surprised by any of it. Because he promised me it would happen. But if you are surprised by it, that leads to the next step, which is spiritual ignorance. Spiritual ignorance gets reflected in our actions. Sometimes I think we unwittingly push unbelievers away from the church because we expect them to speak and to act like Christians. We expect them to fit into some mold that we've created. But but they just are not capable of doing that. But, But the same thing can certainly happen to us as followers of Jesus too. Once we choose... To reject the truth of God, we begin to develop spiritual ignorance in our lives as well. We we begin to lose hope in the goodness of God. We we begin to think that we are being punished. We, We can even begin to think or be unaware of the good things that God gives us each and every day. If we fail to see the spiritual reality of our lives every single day, then that could lead us to the next step, which is the hardening of our hearts. Now, the word hardening is a word that means to cover with a callus. When, when I was working as an electrician years ago, and I, I formed this really thick callus on the inside of my fingers. I mean, after months and months and months of, of just turning wire nuts onto a bunch of wires over and over again, it just kind of built up this really thick skin on the inside of my fingers to the point where I just didn't have any feeling there. If you, if you lift weights or work with your hands, you know exactly 
what we're talking about. That's exactly the picture that Paul is using here. The, the more we reject the, the truth of God and the more that we become spiritually ignorant, the more calloused or hard our hearts get. And the more calloused they get, the harder it is for us to even sense just how far away from God we are getting. Think about Pharaoh in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh saw the revelation of God, didn't he? Moses comes, tells him who God is. He heard it, rejected it. He saw God's revelation through all these plagues. He rejected it. He didn't accept it. And the Bible says that his heart became hard. He saw it and rejected it. Is your heart hard towards the things of God? Is your heart hard towards people? If the answer is yes to either one of those questions, it will disrupt the unity of our church. If you don't begin to soften your heart, it can eventually lead to the last step, which is separation from God. Again, we can, we can easily see this in unbelievers who, who want absolutely nothing to do with God, but, but the same is true, the same danger is true for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus. The more hardened our hearts become, the harder it is for, for us to even sense the separation that results from us turning away from God. We, we don't even see it. If we don't break the process somewhere along the way, we will inevitably come to a point where God will just turn us over to our sinful desires. I mean, that's what we just read about in Romans chapter 1. We come to the point that we have completely lost all sensitivity that we no longer even care if others see us live this sinful lifestyle. Are you in the cycle headed towards separation from God? Now keep in mind, this is not God leaving you, but this is you choosing to live a life that does not honor Him. This is you turning your back on him and failing to surrender to his ways. If you are on this cycle, if you feel like you are separated from God, if you feel like you've disappointed him, if you feel like you failed him, if you feel like you're spiritually ignorant, I want to remind you that there is nothing that you can do or will do or have done that can separate you from the love of God. But you have to know where you are in the process in order to get out of it. You, you have the choice this morning. Paul, Paul has outlined the process which, which is revelation from God. And you can choose to accept it or reject it. Th those are your only options. Are you going to continue to walk in spiritual ignorance? Or are you going to get plugged in to see how we can help you? Are you going to continue to live with a hard heart or are you going to begin to pray that God would soften it? The easiest way for you to get stuck in the process that leads to separation from God is to not be attached to his body, the church. I'll say it until it sounds like a broken record, but you need to be in a discipleship relationship. 
You need to do life with people in a way that makes you more like Jesus. This isn't a show up on Sunday and leave and never touch base again. That's not how this thing works. You need to do life with people. We have blind spots, and we need other people to point them out to us. Maybe you, maybe you can relate to this. There are, there's been many times, many times, that I have been driving somewhere, and my sweet wife is sitting next to me. And, and, and we're, we're just kind of cruising down the road, and my wife will have this big gasp, and flinch gets my attention immediately, right? I'm focused on what I'm doing. I'm looking around. I got both hands on the wheel now, right? And I'm like, what's happening? What am I missing? I forgot my chapstick. <laughs> Any of your other wives do that? It's like this big, this big source of panic that we forgot chapstick, and it, but, but it makes me think that somebody's about to hit us. Many times that happens. <laughs> My point is, is that even when she's doing that, she's helping me focus all of my attention on our journey so that we are safe. Now, not everything is an oncoming car. Sometimes it's I forgot my chapstick, but she helped me focus. We need people in our lives to help us regain our focus as we journey with the Lord. Finally, the third step to not walking in our old way is we need to renew our minds. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we should not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. If we don't want to get back to where we once were and conform to the pattern of this world, it has to start with our thoughts. What's going on in your mind? I have to renew my mind daily. Now, obviously, that is a topic that we could spend several weeks on. We could, we could break down different characteristics. But, but let me leave you with just one practical step that uh, you can take this morning. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how do I do that? How do I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? As thoughts come into my mind, as thoughts come into your mind, we have to evaluate those things. And we have to determine, is this thought, in fact, consistent with Jesus? Is it consistent with his word? Is it consistent with what he's telling me? If my thought meets that standard, then I allow it to enter through my mind and I allow myself to dwell on it. But, but if that thought is not consistent with Jesus, if it's not consistent with his word, then I need to reject it. But that's only the first step. Once we reject it, we have to replace it with something that's consistent with the truth. The truth is, is that even though I hated to see my boy sick in a hospital bed, the truth is he doesn't belong to me. Years ago when he was a baby, we stood before our church, we stood before the Lord, and we dedicated him back to the Lord. I don't know the amount of hair he has on his head, but God does. I don't know how many days he's going to live on this earth, but God does. 
I, I don't get to decide the boundaries in which he lives the rest of his life, but God does. I, I have to trust that the God who knows when every bird falls out of the sky can take better care of my boy than I can. That's the truth I have to hold on to. I had to renew my mind. I had to take some thoughts captive because the thoughts I had going through my head a couple weeks ago were not good thoughts. Too many people, and maybe you're in this room, too many people live their lives like God makes mistakes. They let Satan take over, and they fail to trust the promises of God. I've heard too many people say that the world would be a better place without them. God didn't think so because he created you. He placed you here with purpose. I've heard too many people say that they are worthless. God didn't think so. He sent his son to die in your place. He says through the prophet Isaiah that you are precious and honored in his sight. You need to renew your mind. Again, you can't, you can't do this on your own. You, you need others to walk beside you. You need others to speak life into you and speak these truths over your life. There are times when you need an Aaron and a Her to hold up your hand so that you can be victorious. There are times when we need those people. If you are tired and weary, if you are at the end of your rope, maybe you need to sit down and let others carry this load for you for a season. We are not created to handle this life on our own. We need others. You can begin to renew your mind by stop putting yourself as number one. Stop being selfish. Although our culture urges us to look after number one, Paul has consistently emphasized throughout this, his letter that the church is a body where every member is a part of the body for the overall good of the body, not just for themselves. Obviously, now, we receive many benefits from being part of the body. We receive many benefits from being plugged in and attached. And, and as you're an integral part of the body, that's fantastic. But the body does not exist to serve my needs. It doesn't exist to serve your needs. It exists to serve the purposes of the head, which is Jesus. Every single thing that we do here. And as we saw just a few minutes ago, the last step in this process that leads to a life of futility is that God eventually will give us over to our own selfish desires when we become separated from God. <laughs> and while that might seem like a really good time, while that might seem like a lot of fun, we, we soon will discover the emptiness and the vanity and the meaninglessness and the futility of that kind of life. So when I begin to, to be overly self-centered, we're all guilty of it. When I begin to look at everything only in terms of what's in it for me, how does that benefit me? That ought to be a warning signal to me. Red lights better be going off, that, that I'm on the road to a place that I don't want to go. We can also renew our mind when we pay attention to our conscience. God has given us a conscience to help us understand when we are violating his standards. 
That's why when people commit acts, when, when they are doing wrong, they, they do them in a manner that no one else will see, that no one else will discover what they are doing. I mean, even unbelievers are usually not so brazen as to just commit all these atrocious sins out in public. At least not at first, right? They hide. When we continually go against what we know to be true and right, when we, when, when we fail to go against what the Bible teaches, it says our conscience will be seared. Once that occurs, it leads to the situation that Paul's writing about here in verse 19 of chapter 4. Now, although that word sensuality is primarily used to describe sexual sin, it describes an uninhibited indulgence that is committed without shame, without concern for what others think and how they're affected. And as Paul points out, once a person gets to that point, and they, they, they live a lifestyle characterized by sin. They have a continuous lust for more. Just because we are followers of Jesus Christ does not mean that we are immune to going that far. In fact, we all probably know uh, fellow believers who allowed their consciences to be seared and eventually ended up at a place where they were so ruled by their flesh so ruled by their sin that they no longer tried to hide it. They just needed more of it, both in quantity and intensity, in order to satisfy their selfish desires. So, will you take this passage as a warning? We are in danger of forgetting and, and going back to our old way of life that had no hope and was pretty meaningless. Remember that Paul was writing to Christians when he wrote this letter. This is not him standing in a public square like in the book of Acts, trying to persuade non-believers to understand the truth. This is him talking to a bunch of Christians and warning us that this is that we ourselves are in danger of the same kind of lifestyle. The text is in the Bible. This text is in the Bible because every single one of us is at risk for having our hearts hardened and rejecting the things of God. We've got to fight against it. Do you see that in any area of your life? Where you're rejecting the things of God or your heart, your heart is hardened. Maybe your heart isn't hardened towards God today, but maybe it's hardened towards somebody in this church. Maybe it's hardened towards somebody in your family. I mean, that's where it starts. That's how the enemy works. We have to take every thought captive and replace it with a truth from God's word. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And worship team is going to lead us, and I'm going to ask our prayer team to be available. And I'm going to ask you to examine where you are in the process. Every single one of us is on the process somewhere. Starts at revelation, we either accept it or reject it. I'm going to ask you to remember the times that he has been good to you. 
that he has been faithful to you and encourage you to give him praise for that. In him we have purpose. In him we have hope. In him our life has meaning. If you're going through life, not sure how to make it through the day, if you're going through life miserable, I I would encourage you to seek help today. We have men and women in this church that would love to walk with you. We have men and women in this church that will will join you on this journey, that will help point out these blind spots to you. So as I pray, will you pray for yourself? Will you ask God to reveal where you are in the process? Will you ask God to soften your heart towards him? If you've never surrendered your life to him, and you need all your questions answered, May, may you pray, pray the prayer of, uh, uh, of the dad who wanted his son healed. I believe you can do it, but help, I'm, I'm struggling. I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's your prayer today. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll sing another song. Um, I'm going to ask the prayer team to be available. So, so maybe you respond by just sitting there in your seat, asking the Lord to, um, to soften your heart. Maybe, maybe you come and you just help us help you. If I can pray with you, I'll be, I'll be right over here. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we sing, God, I pray that you will, I pray for soft hearts. I pray that you will soften them. God, help us be aware of where we would be without you. Help us remember where we came from. Help us understand what you've saved us from. So, Father, I pray that your spirit will just be in this place. I pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts. I pray that your spirit will convict us. So, Father, we ask you to work and we ask you to move and we ask you to change hearts and reveal where we are in this process toward you. And help us remember that there's nothing that we can do or have done that will separate us from you. So, Father, I pray that you'll wrap us in your arms right now. I pray that you will speak to our hearts. And I pray that you will change our lives. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.